Ellen Marsh, I am very excited to tell you that for those of you who don't know, the show Disappeared is now a podcast. You can listen to the Disappeared show in podcast form. Girl, are you as excited as I am about this? I am so excited because you can actually listen to the audio from the actual episodes of Disappeared. So you don't necessarily get us screaming, but you get all the information that you miss. It's like the TV show Rip into podcast form, you guys. It comes out every Thursday, once a week. Every week is a new case pulled from the Disappeared TV show. It will have all of your favorite Disappeared episodes. What are your favorite episodes? Oh my God, I love Brandy Wells, episode number one. It's like the young lady who went missing in Texas. And remember the whole thing where you were like, if that was your daughter and she went missing, they'd have to change the name of the town to Patrick, Texas. So you can listen to episodes after our commentary or before or when you're cleaning your kitchen or when you're walking to the bodega or just about any time. We are obsessed with Disappeared. It's my favorite, favorite, favorite TV show of all time. Now listen to it as a podcast, you guys. You can listen to Disappeared on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you obsessed with Obsessed with Disappeared or you're obsessed yeah. with Disappeared? I'm, I'm just obsessed all the way around. That was very confusing. <laughs> Can you just get it out of the way and tell the people how many times you've watched this? Just tell them. Just get it out of the way. Three. I've watched it three times. Three whole times. Three full times. Beginning to end. Full times. Three full times. And whose fault is it? Raise your hand. (laughs) Who do you think's raising their hand? Welcome. The cutest little arm. That arm looks toned from here, my friend. That is a toned arm, I'm going to get it in 2022, girl. (laughs) It's your year. Oh, no, don't say that. Hi, Ellen Marsh. Hi, Patricia. Oh, my God, you guys. If you want more of the Ellen Marsh Patrick Hines shenanigans, join us on the Patreon, you guys. So listen, three full ad-free bonus episodes every month. We just yep. finished our, what's it called? Who the Bleep Did I Marry? Oh, Who the Bleep Did I Marry? We just finished our series, Say Words in a Forward Motion. You're doing great, honey. <laughs> Wait, get this. Our next series is called Fear Thy Neighbor. And Natalie, our director of projects, was putting it in Slack as Fry thy neighbor. She actually thought it was called Fry Thy Neighbor. She's like, so next week you and Ellen are recording on Friday, episode one of Fry Thy Neighbor. And I'm like, I thought it was a typo. And she's like, no, that's what I thought it was called. She thought we were covering a show where people actually fried their next door neighbors. They just like barbecue it. It's like Cecily Strong and fried green tomatoes. She's like, secrets in the sauce. We're just like cooking people. We're eating Meanwhile, people. There we go. That's a full circle we're, joke. We are- we're eating eating Meanwhile, ID, if you want to make that show, call me, girl. Join our Facebook group, girl. What's it called? The podcast and then the word discussion group after it. It's soups easy. Join Follow us. Follow us on Instagram. I don't know. I don't have anything else to say for the intro. You got anything else? I mean, you could follow me on TikTok. Okay, all right. I know, I know. It embarrasses you, but you know what? I'm more embarrassed for me, Okay. All right, you guys, season six, episode 10, breaking news, tells the story of the disappearance of Jody Hoosentrude. A young, ambitious news anchor has the world at her feet. There's a lot of pretty faces out there, but to have a personality like hers, it was very unique. But when she fails to show up to work, she becomes the lead story. She'd expressed concern for her safety in the past. She didn't feel safe. And she wanted to be able to defend herself. And now, investigators believe her fears may have been well-founded. There were some drag marks found in the silt leading away from her car. It's obvious signs of a struggle there. 
police launch an investigation that will lead them to question many, including several of their own. I thought that was real odd that that journal was linked to the media. I didn't go for that at all. Christopher starts off the episode by saying that mornings unfold peacefully. <laughs> now, for me, yeah. what is the opposite of peacefully? Like, hostile? Yeah. What's the opposite of peacefully? Oh, yeah. I would describe you as hostile, yes. I- I'm not what you would call a morning person. I can rock 11 a.m. Yeah. like a bitch, okay? Give me 11 a.m. You give me so much shit for going to bed at 8.30, but, like, I wake up at 4 and I try to text you at 5 because I've got pressing news to discuss with you. You sound asleep, girl. You're not getting out of bed at 5 a.m. No, no, absolutely not. But come 11, this world is my bitch, okay? (laughs) But yeah, I am not doing the news at any time because guess what? We're in Mason City, Iowa. Yeah, we're in a newsroom. I said I love a newsroom. I've actually worked in many. We're meeting 27-year-old. Oh, here we go. Here we go. The humble brag. The humble brag. Hold on. I just want to say we're in Iowa. And you know those, like, you know those signs when it's like, welcome Uh to, you know, welcome to Arizona, the Grand Canyon State, Uh Uh welcome to Florida. The only thing that outnumbers our murders is alligators. You know what Uh I mean? uh Do you know what Iowa's state sign says? This is real. It says Iowa. (laughs) It's not real. I made it up. It says Iowa. <laughs> we hope you brought something to do. <laughs> like they're like, do you have a crossword puzzle? Word search, perhaps. Wait, did you really You're make that up? It. That's really fucking funny, girl. I literally was like, Iowa. <laughs> Iowa. And I listen, I love you, Iowa. I really, really do. I've driven through uh-huh. you. Me and Ellen Rizutsky drove through Iowa when we drove cross country. But like, I don't think there's much I mean, that's on. funny, but can we get back to the story at hand? Sure. So- Go ahead. Mornings unfold peacefully in this quiet Midwestern television newsroom. 27-year-old KIMT anchor Jody Husentrue routinely arrives before dawn and hunkers down to work with laser focus. We're in a newsroom, early morning. We're meeting 27-year-old Jody Husentrude. She usually arrives before dawn, and she works with Laser Focus. I mean, Laser Focus, she's an anchor at K-I-M-T. And the first person we meet is Sister Joanne yeah. on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the most. How much do we love Sister Joanne? We love Sister Joanne, but at first I thought it was Jody's mother, because Sister Joanne is much, much older than Jody. They're like 18 years apart. Oh! Okay, do you have something to say about the new Sex in the City reboot, you ageist motherfucker? I actually saying everybody hates it but me. The episode that we watched at 5.30 this morning was Carrie. She's like, I'm 55 years old. I thought that was so fucking cool that they were talking. I'm not, I'm not ageist. I'm just saying there's a big age difference. No, there is. You're not wrong. I just wanted to talk about it and just <laughs> Remember like when you described yourself as hostile, you guys? This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> she really didn't complain about the morning shift at all. She had her afternoons free and she was just... Enjoyed being on television. So she works in TV and she loves it. She loves her job. She loves being in the news. Although we're going to find out eventually she does write in her journal that she's ready to move on to a bigger market. I hear you, Jody. Honey, she, she's no small town fish. She's in no. that little teeny tiny pond. She wants some big, yes. she wants yes. some big Connie Chung pond. You know what I mean? Is Connie Chung still a news anchor? Do people know who I that don't is? Know. But the epicness of her interviews with Tanya Harding back in the day. Tanya I Harding mean, never met a Connie Chung interview she couldn't storm right the fuck out of. Truly. Connie Chung. Do you know who Connie Chung is married to? Mopo. You're not going to do this to me. I wasn't. I was. 
Yes. I'm sorry, that's not how you pronounce his name according to my grandmother. <laughs> how do you pronounce it? Maori Babavich. <laughs> Thank you. Continue. Growing up, Jody always wanted to be in front of the camera. Jody always knew that she wanted to go into television from little on. She just loved to be on the stage. She was one that wanted the big roles and the plays. Jody was the youngest of three siblings, with 18 years separating her from her oldest sister, Joanne. So growing up, Jody always liked to be on camera. She was very active in the drama club. She always wanted those leading roles. Yeah. She's one of us, girl. I know. And Sister Joanne is just like, I know it's my sister, and I know everybody says this, but she just had the best personality, and she was so genuine. She is honestly such a sweet little nugget love when she's talking about her sister. And she's like, yes, she was beautiful, but that wasn't even the most beautiful part about her. She had a wonderful personality. I was like, Sister Joanne, you are ripping my my, my heartstrings. Where is she? But at the age of 13, Jody was dealt a blow when her beloved father passed away. It was a profound loss. She had a very rough summer after her dad died. I remember she lost a lot of weight and was very, very thin. So at 13, Jody loses her dad and they were really close. And Joanne is like, she was the boy my dad never had because she likes sports. Let's stop saying that. It's fine for girls to like sports, you guys. Thank you so much. And continue on. Jody really loses herself in golf. I was like, oh, okay, golf. And I'm not here to start the fight that golf isn't a sport, but like... That's okay. Yeah, I I haven't gotten it. I will never get it. I only played no. golf to appease one of my exes, and that didn't turn out so well, and I've never played golf since. So, Can I ask you a question, and I mean this with love? Always. Have you ever had an ex that it turned out well with, girl? Yeah. Don't we usually end up in front of a judge? Yeah, no, only two of them ended up in front of a judge. <laughs> I'm friends with every single ex except for those two. Every single one, down to, like, high school boyfriends. Do you think there's any chance you and I are going to end up in front of a judge? I mean, Absolutely. It's just, it's it's not if, it's when. Yeah. Which jurisdiction? Because I'm not coming to Jersey for that trial. You know what I mean? You're going to have to attempted murder me in New York. It will probably go down in Jersey. I'm way more hostile in Jersey than I am in New York. I'm on my best behavior in New York. Jersey, I turn into some trash immediately. I'm like, I'm like the opposite Cinderella. I'm like Cinderella yep. in New York, and then I'm the pumpkin in New Jersey. Yep. As a young girl. Jody dreamed of escaping her small hometown of Long Prairie, Minnesota. Still, she knew starting in the TV biz wasn't going to land her in a big city right out of college. So Jody devised a plan to work around this. Christopher says, but still she knew that starting in the TV biz wasn't going to land her in a big city right out of college. Christopher says TV biz. Yeah, he knows better. So right <laughs> out of college, though, she does the coolest thing. And I'm about to drop some knowledge that I don't even think you know. She okay. went to become a flight attendant with Northwest Airline. Did I ever tell you how much I wanted to be a flight attendant? <laughs> no. <laughs> When I was little and I would see them carrying their little suitcases through the airport and they yeah. always looked so pristine and they had like their scarves and it was just so romanticized. I always wanted to be a flight attendant. Can I say something again? I mean, this would love. This is a compliment. Okay. You would not be a good flight attendant because people who fly are trash and you're not going to stand for that. Everyone on a plane is you in New Jersey on their worst right. fucking behavior. Yes. Yeah, so the second part of that story was then I realized you have to deal with people and suddenly I was no. like, you know yeah. what? I'm just going to buy plane tickets and go places. 
That's what I'm going to do. Did you at one point date a pilot so you didn't even have to pay for the tickets, you fucking cheap-ass nightmare? How do you remember that? Good for you. Yes, I dated a pilot for JetBlue. Oh, my God. That was so long ago. Oh, my Ugh, God. He was but wait, so hot. So we learned that in this small town, Jody, it takes her no time to make friends. She's the you of this town. But then she's the me of this town because all of a sudden uh, we're at the bar at like two in the afternoon. Well, you know, you've worked in really high-stress situations. That yeah. whole like work hard, party hard mentality. Like when you're really working and then you just want to like let your hair down and have a moment. And that's sort of what this whole, you know, her group of friends does a lot. The high-stress atmosphere in the newsroom engendered strong bonds amongst the staff. After a hard day chasing breaking news, employees would hit the local bar and unwind. Jody also interacted with other people in town. Her vibrant personality shined in the social scene. And before long, she was a local celebrity. I'm not calling anybody an alcoholic, certainly, but like Jody gets to work at three. She does a 7 a.m. news broadcast. She works another hour and she hits the bar. Like every time they're like, Jody made a lot of friends and she really liked to have a good time. We're inside a bar. And I was like, yeah. Jody, I feel you, girl. And she's like, where's Jody? They're like, it's 2 p.m. So she's probably at Scruffy Duffy's. That's where I'm thinking she's at. Yeah. Also, I was saying too, like, I feel like seeing a news anchor at a bar would be like seeing a teacher at a bar. Like it doesn't make any sense. You know what oh. I mean? Totally. That remember that scene in Mean Girls where they see Tina Fey like yes. in her TGI Fridays outfit? It's so weird. One time we were on Ninth Avenue and we ran into Daisy's dance teacher. My daughter was six at the time. It was like three in the afternoon in the middle of the pandemic, and we ran into Daisy's dance teacher, who she sees for one hour a week, having a like a sensible three o'clock beer. The teacher tried to hide the beer with her bag. You're like, do you even know me? Do you know who I am? You're fine, girl. You, this is a safe space, that I assure you. Poor thing. I know. One quiet June morning in 1995, producer Amy Coons begins to piece together the day's stories before Jody arrives for the broadcast. Amy becomes immersed in the show's lineup and fails to notice right away that it's almost 4 a.m. Jody is late for her normal 3 a.m. call time. So we're at the heart of the matter. It's Tuesday, June 27th, 1995. It's a quiet morning. And we have Amy Coons, who is one of the producers, who gets to work before Jody. Poor Amy. I have so much to say about this. So Amy Coons is in the newsroom. It's 4 a.m. Amy's like putting together the rundown of the morning broadcast. And it's at 4 a.m. that she realizes that Jody, the anchor, is late. And Jody usually gets there at 3. And I was like, 3 a.m. is early even for me and the phone like rings and rings and rings and then Jody picks it up and sounds groggy and apologizes and she feels like terrible for oversleeping she's like I'll be right there in 20 minutes when she's not there in 20 minutes Amy the producer sits down at the anchor desk yeah she's like it's my time <laughs> and I was like look producer Amy did not wear sweatpants and a t-shirt to work for producing that day she wore a blazer and some fucking khakis I was like this is some fucking showgirl shit she was ready to go on at a moment's notice honey the sun Sutton Foster of it all. I know. Remember? <laughs> yes. Su- yes. Sutton Foster was the understudy in Thoroughly Modern Millie, and then she was ready to go on, and then she went on. 
and on and on and, and on and all on. I'm saying is that Amy waits until the end of the broadcast to call the police and say that Jody's missing. <laughs> well, I mean, I get it. It's like, I mean, this is all on the upside down, right? Jody's supposed to be there at three. It's four. Then she's like, I'm sure she turns around and it's like five. And like, she actually talked to Jody. Jody was like, oh, yeah, Jody, yeah. I overslept. <laughs> I was at the oh, Regal Beagle till. That is the worst fucking phone call to get. Oh my God. When you jolt out of bed, yeah, when you yeah. are late, that is the worst. But she had words. And then she was like, wait, did she fall back asleep? What's going on? Look, all I'm saying is that Amy was ready to go on. That's all. Before we move on from this moment, Amy was ready to go on. Honey, she was ready. She totally. knew she <laughs> she knew the lines. She knew the blocking. She knew the choreo, lights, camera, action. Me without a stitch of makeup. Let's go, baby. Count it down. Three, two, one. We're on air. We're on air. Honey. Oh, my God. So for the 6 a.m. broadcast, Amy does it, goes off without a hitch. She was ready the whole time. She's been waiting in the wings. Let's not lie to anybody. And then she's like, and she's still not here. Let's call the police. Employees at KIMT called us early in the morning and advised us that Jody hadn't arrived at work and they were concerned. An officer makes his way to Jody's apartment complex for a routine welfare check. There was nothing alarming about the call right away. The officer noticed that her vehicle was still in the parking lot as well. Knocked on her door and received no answer. So the officers go to Jody's apartment to do a welfare check. And they're saying, like, at first, everything seems fine. Like, the car is still there. I honestly can't believe you've talked this long without talking about Lieutenant Frank Stearns. Is that, are you okay today? There's only one attractive man on this entire episode. It's not Detective Frank Stearns. Okay. you, my you, my you, type after can all shift. these years, yeah, I know. you can still you never cease to amaze. I had no idea. I really, really didn't know. Okay. My taste can shift on the daily. It really does depend on my noob, on my mood. On your nudes. <laughs> Did you say on my nudes? My nudes leaked. My nudes leaked. Okay. Ellen has a friend that once <laughs> called her sad and she's like, What's wrong, baby? And he goes, Oh, my nudes leaked. <laughs> But he said it in one word. He goes, ugh, my nudes leaked. My nudes leaked. Which meant that, like, there were nude pictures of him on the internet that leaked. Which, but anyway. I will just tell you this. I'm not going to tell you who he is. I found the nudes, and they're good. They're worth yeah. finding. Congrats, my friend. I know. <laughs> So Jody's car was there. There's no answer at her apartment. They go back and check her car. And this is where they find some weird stuff. Some of the things were discovered in the parking lot and around her vehicle were like her hair dryer, her brush. The driver's side mirror was actually um, folded in the outward position, which made it appear that someone had been had brushed up against it and actually folded it in the outward position um, of her red Mazda Miata. Other evidence pointing to a disturbing encounter is found around Jody's car. They find her hair dryer, her brush, her keys. Not only that, her uh, rear view, not mirror, what do you call it? Driver's side mirror. There we go. She got it. Hello. Her driver's side mirror was pushed out. And then around her car, there were drag marks going away from the car. So you know how we always hear the term, there was no evidence of a struggle? Uh Uh-huh. So struggle. So struggle. There's for sure a struggle. My other thing, too, is that, like, she was in such a panic to get to work that she, like, didn't even do her hair at home. She, like, grabbed her hair dry. Like, she's going to be sitting at her desk scrolling through the script while blow drying her hair. Yeah. Honey, she's going to do a blowout while she's getting her lashes on. But listen, not included in the episode. Get a load of this. Not included in the episode. This is from some of my side research. And, y'all, I have some side research on this. Oh, God. 
The call was at four, right? And she left at 4.30. When they went to go investigate her room, her bed was made. So (gasps) she had like a little mini people's choice as to blow dry my hair or make my bed. And her bed won over. I wonder if she didn't even ever sleep in the bed, though. Like maybe she was on a bender from two in the afternoon yesterday. Also a theory. We're going to get to that later. Oh, my God. So the cop does say like there was an obvious a sign of a struggle. We never hear that in these episodes. <laughs> yeah, ever. We're like, thank God. Can we make a big deal out of it? Let's make a big deal out I of this love struggle. Like, in all honesty, she had her fucking hair dryer to throw. And then one guy said he definitely saw a light-colored van. There was a van that was seen at the scene by a gentleman driving on his way to work that morning. And that van was only witnessed by him. There was a van apparently parked in the parking lot with his parking lights on. You know what? Actually, can we just get a city ordinance to not have vans anymore? What's wrong with trucks? What's wrong with an open bed Uh trucks? Uh Why do you need an enclosed space? I'm going to actually go on a limb and say nobody actually needs a van. You can have a truck. Vans should be illegal as well as cilantro. Thank you. I'm with you on the cilantro, but also maybe just put a couple windows on the van so we can at least see in. You know what I mean? Like it just there's always a van. So they said that they definitely saw a dude in a van. His parking lights were on. So they said they investigated for a van, which seems like a very broad search. Like, we're looking for a van. It was uh, light colored, maybe four door, maybe two door. It was a van. You know, like a van. You know, like a van. It was a van van. Has anyone seen a van? Like, it just. I know. Police begin to search for similar vans in the area, while other officers scour Jody's apartment for clues. I was at the apartment. The apartment looked average, looked normal, nothing out of place. After carefully checking all of Jody's belongings, police notice what appears to be a journal sitting on her bedside table. An investigator skims through the short entries, looking for anything out of the ordinary. They also investigate her apartment where they find her journal and waste no time reading it. Oh, my God. I know we have to do this. I get it. We have to see what state of mind people are in. But, God, journals are not meant to be read. It's so cringy. If you ever go missing, I will be the first to kick your door open and be like, where's the journal? I'd like to get my hands on it. I'm probably in it. Can I see the journal? Your friend is missing. I know, but you know, know what? This is some good shit. She, if she's going to be missing now, she's going to be missing in half an hour. Okay? Oh, Give me yeah. half an hour. <laughs> Can oh. anyone control F a journal? I'd like to look for my name. <laughs> control <laughs> Could be under Patrick or Patricia. Also, just look for the letter P. You know what? Control F at all. Thank you so much. So they're going through her apartment. Okay, I'm gonna need I'm gonna need a moment in a second here. So they're going through their apartment. There wasn't anything particularly unusual except when they enter the bathroom. Hold on to your butts. I'm gonna say this super fast so it doesn't hurt. The toilet toilet seat seat was was found up. up. I know. I know. Detective Stearns was like... As an investigator, finding the toilet seat up tells me that there's possibility that there was a male in the apartment. Possibility? (laughs) There's a possibility you will die from a heart attack. It is a certainty that a man left the fucking... 
fucking toilet seat up. A possibility? But we never get more information on this. Was she dating? We never get more information, but y'all, I had a very long conversation with my new friend, Scott Fuller, who has the Find <laughs> Jody podcast. We talked for an hour and a half the other night. I'm going to wow. tell you some things about this toilet seat, but they don't. They never come back to it in this episode. My only question in this section was, were there pubes everywhere too? <laughs> Where there are men, there are pubes. And that is also a certainty. If you want to come for me, Look, I'm ready. I will go fisticuffs. No, it's just that not all of us can get all of our pubic hair lasered off of our bodies, okay? Well, that's a you thing, okay. honestly. <laughs> the, the option is there for you. Okay. <sighs> <laughs> You guys, she had to sit back and shake her head. Like, she I, just, <laughs> it deeply disturbs her. I just don't understand. You know what? I'm not a man hater, but why are you all so disgusting? I have, <laughs> I have a lot of questions and no answers. That's uh-huh. the thing. Nobody helps me. Nobody helps me out. Anyway. Yeah. Detectives are able to reach Jody's mother and sister, who are on vacation in northern Minnesota. He said, um, Joanne, are you sitting down? And I said, no. What? I immediately thought that Jody probably had been in a car wreck because she had a fast foot and we kept cautioning her. Joanne quickly learns the true reason for the call. So detectives call Jody's mother and sister who are on vacation in northern Minnesota, which is obviously a high traffic area because in Minnesota, what? you know, they got they got lighthouses and moose and the Mall of America. <laughs> they got the Mall of America there. They got lots of perks. They got lots oh. of places to visit in northern Minnesota. I do love when our podcast becomes a place for you to try out the voices you hear in your head. They can manifest through your mouth. What were you guys doing in Minnesota? Just uh, the Mall of America. It's gorgeous. <laughs> you could spend all day there, honestly. They got the best Aunt Anne's pretzels in the country. Yeah, fight me on it. <laughs> but this is the section where Sister Joanne says when the cops called, we just assumed that Jody was in a car wreck because she had a real heavy foot and we always used to caution her. <laughs> I know. She's so sweet. You know what, though? Jody never met a a ticket she couldn't get out of. You know Jody never paid a ticket in her life. Oh, she had that smile. She Uh No, she she had that smile and that little cute blonde bob. Yeah. No, but Sister Joanne is the opposite of you because she's actually like, I think it'll be okay. You'll find her. Like, she has such faith. She's so dear. I have no doubt that Sister Joanne has, like, suffered and misses her sister. Sister Joanne's urgency is low. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's not a very, like, outwardly expressive person. She's not like me. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, she is the opposite. And then Christopher says that Sister Joanne and and the mom need to get to Mason City as soon as possible. And then I just imagine Sister Joanne being like, the tickets to the to the park ranger exhibit are non-refundable. <laughs> The park ranger exhibit. I just, can you just check the terms and conditions before we leave? No, I love my sister. We got to go find her. But I also love that park ranger exhibit. (laughs) Park ranger exhibit. I love that park. She loves it. No, of course we're going to go, but I just want the option to come back if we can next winter. Okay. So the family makes it to Iowa. All of a sudden, Jody's like story is all over the news. So they're at the apartment and there's a ton of nosy neighbors all asking yes. questions. <laughs> then out of the blue, here comes our guy. Wanted yeah. to introduce our guy. John Van Sys showed up at the apartment complex while we were there. 
in a in real excited manner, telling us that he was the last person that saw Jody alive. So this guy, John Van Seitz, just shows up out of nowhere, like, on the scene. He walks right over to the cops and tells the cops, is Jody missing? I was the last person to see her alive. I alive. mean... I know. <laughs> come again, friend? What? Christopher says the cops were eager to talk to him, and I was like... So go talk to him. Yeah. What? You know, they're still checking that mystery van, that magical mystery tour thing and whatever. But then Sister Joanne also like spills some tea that like she had had some like demi stalking incidences around town. But can I just say like they introduce John Van Sice and he tells the cops he was the last one to see her alive and they don't immediately tell us the rest of that story. I'm like, "Uh, put a pin in this, I guess. Yeah. We're going to. Are you going to come back to it? (laughs) Are you going to come back to it? Like, they do. She could be at Starbucks for all we know. You know what I mean? Truly. So they go and they tell us about this, like, little stalking incident. News that a van may have been lingering near Jody's apartment in the early morning hours heightens her family's anxiety. Jody was worried a few times about stalking. A guy in a black truck had followed her and acted really creepy. And she had run to a house and she called her mom at that point and was talking all about it. It really shook her up. So there was once a guy in a black van put a pin in that piece of information. Yeah. And she was on a run and he was following her. So let me just take this time now to say that your boyfriend, Billy Elizabeth, Uh does a great episode of this on Murder Squad. Yeah, we're talking about Billy Jensen, Paul Holes. Billy Elizabeth Jensen. So there's a couple things that I actually got from the Murder Squad podcast about this. So number one, and I got this from Scott Fuller, that van was not black it was white okay weird and also remember they said that like she had taken self-defense classes because of that little stalking story Uh billy jensen told me she was advised by the police to take self-defense classes so it was a little more heightened Uh than they made it out to be on the episode so i just want to make that clear and like she really is like a local celebrity so like like, she is like in this small town like a known person so there's that too they wanted to tell us that and then they wanted to go back to John Van Sice. So there you go. Yeah, this episode is structured strangely, if you're asking me. Wait, remember that episode where we kept going back to the pizza night three times? <laughs> We're like, can we just get some linear coverage of this? Okay, I guess that's why we don't work at ID. So John Van Sice is apparently giving interviews to the media where he's talking about Jody in the past tense. So that's <gasps> like the big thing that's very weird. She just meant so much to me and she we had so much fun together, her and her friends. And... I even named my boat after her because just just because she's Jody and, and she's she's been such a big part of my life here lately and, and she just makes me feel so good and feel great about things that that's Jody and that's you can't help but love that woman. You just can't help but love her. But like in this clip that they share, he does it once and then like refers to her in the present tense. Like it's not as creepy or as ominous to me as they're making it sound. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. I mean, they do mention it and then it's like, you know, the Chris Watts of it all. It's a little bit weird that they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are you talking like that? She's been missing for 24 hours. Like, he's yeah. practically in Breckenridge for a second. Like, he does go a little bit, like, panicky. And especially with him saying he was the last person to see her alive. Very weird. Well, remember he said she meant so much to me. Uh-huh, that, I think uh-huh. that was the one that got it. I don't know. Jody's friends in Mason City report that John, who is 20 years older than Jody, is a charmer. And that while Jody seemed to like the attention... 
she never sought anything serious with him. We learned that John is 20 years older than her. And, like, she liked him as, like, a casual friend. He's, like, a man about town. He's, like, a corn seed dealer, whatever the fuck that is. I, I honestly, I just put a question mark. I have no clue. This guy gives me the creeps. I'm yeah. not going to lie. This man screams I'm three months behind on my child support. Like, uh-huh. he just screams, like, I have a second percent. life in another state. It's all weird. And, like, she was friends with him because she was friends with a lot of people. And yeah. he was, like, he would go out and she would go out. So they would, like, they knew each other through the social scene. And so it just seems like it's another example of, like, a man who probably wanted more from her than she wanted of him. And, like, right. he's, as far as I'm concerned, a good suspect here. Yeah, and he, I mean, like, he was just that guy. Like, he would always meet them out, and he'd, like, show off and buy drinks. And he had a boat, and he named it after her. Right. Do we want to talk about that? Yeah, and, like, the, even the cop is impressed. He's, like, he had a very impressive boat for the time. I was like, Yeah, Girl. he was like, let me tell you about the boat. And he's just, like, always buying drinks. Which, by the way, buying random drinks in a club is, like, one of the strangest mating rituals. I know. I want someone to walk up to me on the street and, like, offer to like pay my electric bill then I'll talk to you her like, electric bill is just, very high you guys very it's, high. yeah it's just weird anyway John just used to you know go places and like wave his dick around and talk about his boat I don't know but, whatever nothing good happens on boats no and because he said that weird thing about being the last one to see her alive like they want his story from that night John says that Jody then dropped by his place to watch a video from her recent surprise birthday party weeks earlier John had planned a well-orchestrated get-together with all of Jody's friends at a local bar. And he says that that night she had come over to his house. She had been at a golf outing that day. She left at 8 o'clock. She came over and watched a video from a surprise birthday party that he had thrown for her. And then the cops are like, okay, but we also know that she's at home making a call from her home phone at 824. So she left the golf outing at 8, stopped by his house and watched a movie, and is home by 824. So his story also doesn't make any sense. Yes, yes. The only other logical explanation, which they don't know, is she went home, made the call, uh-huh. then went to John? Oh, interesting. But like the way you said it is exactly the way I thought of it. Like, how would she have like? Did she just watch five minutes of the video? That doesn't track. And I also was checking with my best friend Scott Fuller, who has that podcast, and he's like, it honestly that timeline doesn't make sense. But it's not so confusing because maybe she did it the opposite yeah, way. Yeah, I, I didn't even think of that. That could that could yeah. make sense. So like the cops bring him in, they give him a polygraph test. They never release the results of the polygraph test to the public, but they say he's a person of interest, but they don't have enough to, like, ever arrest this guy. Yeah, they can't even search his apartment. And you would think that he would be like, come in and search my fucking apartment. Like, if you didn't kill her, let them look. Right. So that 824 call, by the way, was to her friend Kelly. Now, her friend Kelly wasn't home, but she chatted with Kelly's husband for a few minutes, and the husband was like, everything seemed cool, seemed chill. They talked about her ski trip she just went on, and, like... Everything seemed normal. Nothing was out of the ordinary. And they did talk for a couple of minutes. And then the next thing that happens is that we're back to her work. where like the morning news because her colleagues have become a part of the story. This is where we see archival footage of producer Amy, who was very eager to get on the air that morning. I'm still just kind of in shock because we still have our jobs to do. And we just have to get the show on the air. My thoughts. I'm just scared, you know. If this can happen once, it can happen again, and it's not supposed to happen in Mason City, Iowa. 
Amy does not mention Jody's name one time. She's like, all I know is that we have to get the show on the air and this kind of stuff shouldn't happen here. And if it happened once, it could happen again. She never says, I miss my friend. The news Aww. business misses my friend. Amy, Give her a break. Know? No, I know. And like at this time, like Jody's family, of course, they're like in agony. And Sister Joanne met John and Sister Joanne wasn't impressed. I did meet John Van Syce um, those first few days that we were down. He was not in the best of moods that morning. I talked about Jody's dad, and I said, did Jody ever mention to you how close she was to her dad and, and stuff? And he just got real kind of huffy and distant and um, pushed his chair back and said, she never mentioned her dad to me. You know, just, he was strange. Well, she says John was in a really bad mood that day. And she's like, you know, did she ever, did Amy ever talk to you about how close she was with our dad? She describes John at like the mere mention of the father, like slamming his like chair away from the table and being like, she never talked to me about her father. And I was like, I don't know what we're supposed to get from this story, except for the fact that like, maybe if John is like suddenly a person of interest, he's annoyed. You know what I mean? Like maybe he's in a bad mood for being suspected of murder. Or irrationally hostile at like Uh weird times or like has a bad temper or something. But we don't go back to that story either. You've said the word hostile like nine times in this app. What? what, How's everything in yours? Good. Sometimes I just do that. Like I'll (laughs) cling on to a word for a day. Uh Yeah. Are you feeling especially hostile today or? Um, I'm really not not i could give me like 30 seconds i can switch like a fucking light switch you know what i mean oh i've seen like a box of goddamn chocolates you never know what you're gonna get i don't know if you guys know this about my relationship with ellen but she's always wrong (laughs) yeah generally it's fine it's a place i'm comfortable in you guys the joke is that i'm usually the instigator and aggressor and most of the time ellen's right I haven't even said this to you yet, so I'll just say it in front of our friends. The other day, Ellen and I got into a little bickering situation because she called me stressed, and I got really Mm -hmm. mad about it. And I screamed, I'm not stressed. And Mm -hmm. much the way I once said to Ellen, like, the obvious thing about the quickest way to lose a fight is to be the one not crying. The Mm -hmm. quickest way to know that you actually are stressed is to scream at your best friend, I'm not stressed. (laughs) So you win. (laughs) I'm not stressed. What makes you think? His, like, gaskets are blown. He's like, You're like, Patrick, you're on an IV, and they've got the ventilator handy. So. (laughs) I'm fine. (laughs) But then I said stress today, and I was like, oop, not saying that word. (laughs) That is a trigger word. So the family was like, we're in Mason City, and I get this. Like, they don't really know what to do. Like, they're like, I mean, I guess you guys got this covered. Like, so they go back to, you know, Minnesota. Fucking three years go by. Whenever that happens in one of these episodes, we're like, something, ha- like, the next words out of Christopher's mouth are, so three years go by. I'm I always know. like, oh I'm my always God. like, wait, what? I know. I know. I do the same thing. I'm like, oh, no. And they say not three a day years. goes by without someone phoning in tip most of them are bogus and i'm like look i know this happens i'm not new here i'm not naive why why do people do this why you know the good part of me always thinks that people are like genuinely trying breaking news there's a good part of you wow wow and there it is and there it is honestly honestly it's my fault do you know what i mean it's like 
It really is. Uh-huh. You can't blame a clown for being a clown. I got to ask myself why I keep going to the fucking circus. You know <laughs> you what I mean? Are you tell the people about my Zoom background? That shit's on, on you guys. His Zoom background is my <laughs> picture, my opening night of Pretty Woman, which is like my avatar on my Instagram. Uh-huh. And I'm just literally staring at his little face above my big face. It's I keep hilarious. turning around and pretend kissing it. It's very funny. It's very funny. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, no, I just always think like I hope people are really trying to do good. Like part of me just thinks it's some like, you know, gross dude in his basement being like, uh, yeah, I saw that Jody chick. I'm like, please don't do <laughs> I that. Know. You're right. It probably is people who like think they see her. There's a missing persons case I've been following for years. I'm obsessed with it. And one time I fucking thought I saw him. And I like yeah. turned around and he went missing in New York City. I turned around, I like put my family on hold and turned around. This really happened. Okay. <laughs> this really happened. She's shaking her head like I'm making it up. No, this no. really happened. But yeah, no, I just, I hope, but they said they literally for three years getting a tip or a lead every day. Come I know. on. I know. Then where is she? Where is she then? So now we're at winter 1999 and we learn about a prisoner named Anthony Jackson who wrote a rap song. Then. In the winter of 1999, something intriguing crops up involving a prisoner by the name of Anthony Jackson. Anthony Jackson supposedly wrote a rap song about uh, Stiffin and Tippin, and it was supposed to refer to Joey. Stiffin and Tippin suggests to investigators that Jackson is referring to a dead body in Tippin, Iowa, which is close to 200 miles from Jody's home in Mason City, Iowa. The rap song was called Stiffin and Tiffin, which the police interpret to mean about like Jody being the Stiffin, like the dead body in a yeah. town called Tiffin, right? Because yeah. it goes nowhere in the episode. They're like, we looked into it. It wasn't him. But you have new yeah. information. So they investigate and they learned that Anthony was living in Mason City at the time Jody went missing. So that's number one. He was in prison for sexual assault. Now, they just mentioned this in the episode and my side goog research would prove that that is a gross understatement. Oh, really? He had several sexual assaults <gasps> in the Mason City area. Yeah, they really glossed over that one. And I do have an update on Anthony Jackson at the end. But because of that song, they went to Tippin, Iowa, with dogs, looking for Jody. There were a couple of, like, hits with the dogs, but nothing. And then there's more about Anthony Jackson at the end. Okay. But now, oh, my God. I know. We're in September 2000. It's been seven fucking years, you guys. And we meet Gary Peterson, who is a news director at a competing station. And he gets a letter at his news station that summer. And, like, this blows my mind. It's a fucking psychic who, like, isn't writing about the Jody case. The psychic is just like, hey, I got some extra time on my hands. Like, if you have any cases you'd like me to look into, I'd be happy to do it. And Gary is like, you know what? It's a slow news day. I'm going to pass this on to my sexiest reporter, Josh Benson, who's here and takes the time to tell me to my face that in this episode that he doesn't yet have children. I think he's asking me if I'd like to have some with him. And, yes, I would. Thank you very much. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you want any more time with Josh Benson? Or is that good? A lot of time. Josh is so hot. And he, I literally, my note says Josh Benson can sit on my face. You wrote that in your notes, in your professional notes for our podcast, for our actual true crime podcast. You wrote that in your notes. You guys, when we were doing our live shows in Atlanta, I laid down on the stage to show the audience where their two senators, Ossoff and Warnack, could sit on my face if either of them were in the audience. We are 
actually professional grown yeah. people. Just so everybody knows. Offer stands, Ossoff and Warnock. Any place on my face you want to sit, it's right here. My face is right here doing nothing. They're in the drama club at the five. <laughs> Honey, listen, bump it up to the 10 and you got yourself a deal. Well, as a news director, you start getting tips and various things that come in. And this happened to be a letter that I received from a psychic in California who said that he was willing to do uh, a reading or an analysis of a, of a cold case that we had at no charge. It was a slow news day. So Gary passed the letter to one of his ace reporters, Josh Benson. Josh Benson is like, look, I don't really go for psychics. Some of them are amazing. Some of them are trash. But he's like, here we are. We thought, why not? They send the psychic a picture of Jody. The psychic sends back like a 10-page report and we get no more information. The thing that they do realize is like, it's not a cold case. Uh And Josh and Gary, they founded something called findjody.com, which is still a working and active website, you guys. And they kind of make this a passion project. And it became like very personal personal to them. Like they kind of like understand like the sadness of it all. And that is still up and running. Gary is since retired. But listen, if you want to reach out to Josh, he's still at findjody.com. I'm going to direct him to my website, sitonmyface.com. Okay. It's an invite only site. It's a very small crew. (laughs) Hi, husbands. Let's, well, there's a couple more ways that this all takes a left turn. You want to just uh-huh. run through all of these like yeah. left turns? Let's do so, it. So we hear about this man, Billy Prune, who was living right outside of Mason. He had a tractor and he was like friends with Jody. <laughs> what? The juice on his business card, it says, has tractor friends with Jody. This guy was murdered like three weeks before Jody went missing. And so Josh and Gary are trying to connect the case of Billy Pruin to her to see if there's any connection. He had a tractor. He was friends with Jody. (laughs) No, he wasn't murdered. They don't know if he was murdered. All they know is that he was found on the floor of his farm, dead from a gunshot wound. I have more information about that at the end. Honestly, I'm going to have to make this a part two. Okay. (laughs) And so Jody was obviously devastated after his passing. The police had classified that as death by suicide, by the way. Right. And so Jody was saying there's no way he would have done that. And Jody wanted to look into it. And so the implication is did she find out some information she shouldn't have and then was killed by whoever killed him also down bitch Gary from findjody.com also researched Billy's case and he also didn't believe that he died by suicide because the shot was in his chest and he believes that he was actually shot from behind yeah like there was an exit wound and an entrance wound and they're saying like the official report says he shot himself through the chest and he's like no it looks like he was actually shot from behind so yeah, so everyone is confused because the timing of Billy's death was suspicious because he had a life insurance with a suicide clause and three months before the clause had expired. So there's a lot of confusion around whether or not Jody might have been investigating and, you know, come across like a suspicious character. Yeah, then the cops are on to another inmate named Thomas Scorscadden, who was a sexual offender. And this guy drove a van that was like the van that they were investigating from earlier in the case. And at one point in his deposition, he claimed to know what happened to Jody. And so they like, they look into this guy, but again, like no more information. Yeah. So now y'all, we're at June 2008. Now, hold onto your butts. (laughs) This is disgusting. I know. Several pages from Jody's journal that police had confiscated from her apartment are leaked to the local newspaper. 
I thought that was real odd that that journal was linked to the media. I didn't go for that at all. I really thought that was strange. Remember how the cops tore into Jody's journal? Several pages from that journal were leaked to the fucking press, and the newspaper published them. I want the names of everyone that worked at that fucking newspaper, from the CEO to the fucking doorman who let that shit get published. That is sensationalism. That is breach of privacy. That is so disrespectful. I know. I would definitely sell your journal to the highest bidder, but the thing about this is also that they learn this journal, which, by the way, had no good information. It was just like her talking about like, it was just her talking about her life. This journal was leaked by the wife of the retired chief of police. If you guys could see Ellen's face. Can I know. you believe? Like, bitch, what are you doing? I know. I know. Like, like, oh my god. Like, honestly, choke. Like, that's disgusting. Because, like, I guess he was able to take these files with him when he retired. She found the journal leaked. How is she not going to jail for that. Yeah, and like they questioned the woman who leaked it and her motive wasn't released. I was like, her motive wasn't released? Unlike you, you released her like fucking journal pages? No, release that fucking motive. You know what? I didn't even call that police department. Who am I? I should have called that fucking police. I'm gonna call that newspaper. I'm gonna shut that newspaper down. That newspaper is gonna be called the Ellen fucking Gazette by the end of this day today. I just got so mad at that all over again. What a betrayal. Then, in 2009, another dramatic twist in the case. Mason City police officer Maria Ohl comes forward and tells superiors she heard a tip two years earlier alleging that three law enforcement officers were involved in Jody's disappearance. We get this story where this officer, Maria Uhl, is called to, like, a party. Like, she's called to, like, break up a party. And while she's breaking up this party, apparently three people at the party are, like, gossiping about the fact that, like, two or three local cops were actually involved in Jody's disappearance. So if Maria Ohl is to be believed, she's a police officer breaking yep. up a party where everyone yep. thinks they're in trouble, except for these three queens over here who are still drinking and gossiping in the corner. Yeah. That's Maria's yeah. story. So Maria calls Gary from findjody.com. Gary's like, girl, I've heard about you in the papers, but I want to hear like your story firsthand. Maria spills all the tea, and she also says that her pastor, who's also her brother-in-law, got a call from another pastor who was giving that pastor the same tip. I was like, what the fuck is happening? I need a goddamn chart at this point. I Honestly, know. I need I need some thumbtacks, I need some pictures, and I need some diagrams. Also, I looked up this pastor Shane Philpod. He looks like a storefront pastor. He does not look legit, girl. This guy... I mean, anybody can be a pastor. Like, you could be a pastor. You, you could have, yeah. like, you Remember know... Remember when I married you and your ex-husband? Anybody can't be you guys. Like, truly. What if that was never legal? And I was like, fuck, I spent all that money getting divorced and it was never even legal in the first oh place. I, <gasps> could hey, you imagine? 50-50 chance, to be honest. If I didn't know Steve Tipton at the time, that probably would have been the You're case. You're just like, I, no, I did it. I filled it out. No, I did it. Totally. <laughs> but like, ultimately, Maria gets fired from the fucking police department and then like, she goes in front of like, a civilian review board to get her job back and they're like, no girl, like, your mental health isn't good. Like, you're not, you're unwell. Well, 
I mean, you don't, you know that blue coat of silence. Uh huh. You know, you don't break it. It was a civilian review board, though. That like that looked at her and said no. Uh, I don't know. Well, anyway, September 2010, she was put on leave, and then she was officially fired August 2011. And her charges were mishandling information of the evidence in Jody's case. Is that a weird wording? I don't know, but like a doctor finds her not competent to serve. All I'm saying is that she put her career on the line for a rumor she overheard while breaking up a party. It doesn't seem like a reliable source. Right. But then how about this little left turn? Gary tried to track down the informants that told Maria. Uh What happened to those two people, baby? So they both are dead. One of them died of an, a quote, overdose. And they found a needle next to his body, but actually no drugs in his system. And another one died of stab wounds. And then Christopher moves right on like we need no more information about that. Yeah. Like, what the Midwest fuck is going on? I know. In Mason County, Iowa, girl. Like, it is crazy. Yeah. So they did an internal investigation, and they concluded that no officials were involved in the disappearance of Jody. So that's, like, that's done. And Officer Maria Uhl, in October of 2013, kept fighting for her job back. She's like, I'm not lying, y'all. I know. I mean, who knows? But that's kind of where it ends, right? Like, what are your updates? So John Van Eyes is still a person of interest, we learn. He's suffering from serious dementia, I saw on the internet. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. This poor fucking family. So findjody.com is still an active website. They also have a great podcast. If you want to check out more, I talked to a host by the name of Scott Fuller, who, by the way, has the best podcast voice. He makes you and I sound like Muppets. His voice is like butter. And then Murder Squad also covered it, of course. So there was a couple things that they got wrong, okay? So remember, Mason City Police Department, I'm not coming down on them or anything, but listen, they're a small town and this was a big freaking deal. So remember, they made a mistake in the report about that truck. That truck was not black, it was white. Uh And there was also some information on John Van Nuys that wasn't included because this is crazy. Listen up. At 7.20 a.m., uh-huh. you know the producer who was ready to shine, Amy? Amy? Uh-huh. She received a phone call by a man by the name of John. She didn't mention it until like two years ago. Why, you say? And my friend Scott Fuller said, she said, quote, I was afraid of John because this is what happened. She saw John at a laundromat shortly after Jody went missing. He had two full bags of laundry. He locked eyes and saw Amy and she said those eyes scare her to this day. And she never felt comfortable about coming out. Now, we don't know if that was John Van Eyes. There is nothing to say that. But at 7.20 a.m., she got a phone call on the day Jody went missing from a man named John. So that's separate from seeing John Van Nuys at the laundromat. Yes, it was a day after Jody went missing. Number one. Number two, it should be said, also not talked about in the episode when Scott told me this, I nearly fell down. They processed that crime scene with no gloves. (gasps) 
Wow. Now, listen, Mason City, I'm not coming for anyone. They were in over their heads. The police department were in over their heads. There were a lot of mistakes made at the crime scene. What about the guy who wrote the rap song? Oh, so basically I said to, you know, I was like, who do we think this is? And he said, I have never taken my eyes off John Van Eyes. And also Anthony Jackson could still very, very much be a player in the story. But if you want more of that, definitely the Find Jody podcast with Scott Fuller is just so full of so many twists and turns in this case. She is not found. I mean, that is the sad story that her body was never found. So if you have any information regarding Jody or what might have happened to her, please reach out to the Mason City Police Department at 641-421-3636. This is this is still being talked about. This is not a cold case. We can still get this family justice. And I really, really believe that. Um, Say something funny. I mean, you are hostile, but I love you anyway. Can we go back to the fucking toilet seats? <laughs> Oh, you guys, we love you so much. If you want more Ellen and me, join us on the Patreon. Three full ad-free bonus episodes every single month. Also, like a fourth bonus thing. We're doing Zoom hangs. We're doing call-in shows. We don't know. We're going to figure it all out. We really just want to see you and connect with you. That's all we want to do. We just want to make you happy. We just want to make you happy. Join the Facebook group, Obsessed with Disappeared Podcast Discussion Group. Follow us on the Instagram, at the Disappeared Pod. Anything else, my love? Well, and if you're feeling saucy and you want to go give us a five-star review on iTunes, it does help people find us and um if you didn't like today's episode just turn your phone off no need (laughs) we love you guys love you bye Bye. look at you with that name (laughs) tell them i want to know how you spelled it tell me right now what it says on your computer i did it phonetically h-u-s-e dash i-n dash t-r-u that's actually really great but also i've seen it so many times it just rolls off my tongue at this point But good for you. So, Jody grew up in Prairie, Minnesota. She dreamed of getting out. I think it's Long Prairie. Oh, you're correct. Okay. <laughs> you you are hostile in New Jersey. <laughs> I'm just looking out for my DMs. I'm just looking out for my DMs. <laughs> On this case, you know, this is a very, very well-known case. Ca- 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 you guys, what is wrong with me? 